Hey guys, this is Rob Palante, and you are listening to Mindset Body Bank, the podcast. Um, one favor I always ask whenever you guys tune in is if you got anything out of today's show, if it made you laugh, smile, if you picked up some tips, if it taught you something or, you know, it, uh, it, it just moved you in any way, please like, share, leave a comment. That's how I help. That's how I get rated. That's how... Uh, my podcast will grow. Um, today, I got a great, great episode. Uh, I've just finished listening to it a couple of times again, and and uh, I just keep laughing. Um, it was an hour with an old friend of mine, Mike Fuda. Mike is the uh, former uh, vice president in hockey operations and assistant general manager with the LA Kings. So you young guys want a little bit of insight on um, what it takes to play at the NHL level? Um, you're going to hear it right here firsthand from Mike. He shares his journey and his story and how he got to that level from being a player, um, pursuing, like every other Canadian kid, the opportunity to play in the NHL, um, to becoming a coach uh, with a storied franchise, St. Mike's, and then becoming a uh, part of the LA Kings in the NHL as part of their executive management team. It's quite a journey. There's a lot of stories and a lot of laughs. So I encourage you to hang on for the ride. I'm sure Mike will keep you entertained as he did me. So uh, without any further ado, let's jump over to the recorded podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Mindset Body Bank. Rob Palante here and I got a very special guest for you guys today, Mike Fuda. Uh, an old friend of mine. We played a little junior against each other, uh, and uh, and he was kind enough in between his travels to uh, to jump on here today and and spend a little bit of time. Mike's got a great story, and I'm hoping he's going to be able to share a little bit about his past, where he's been, his road to success, where he's at now. So, Mike, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Absolute pleasure, Rob. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. So, you know, typically what I like to do, Mike, is, is start out a little bit about when, when I'm interviewing my guests, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. And then we'll do a little bit of a deeper dive in your past and share that journey to, you know, your road to the NHL, which was a little bit different being, you know, a, a player and then winding up in management. And uh, and that's kind of um, kind of a, an exciting way to get there. But um, I'll let you uh, I'll let you kind of take it from there. It's a different path for sure. But I mean, right now I'm, I'm transitioning as well. I mean, the last 13 years I, or 14 years, I guess it's been, I started out as a director of uh, amateur scouting for the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, and then I was uh, promoted to uh, vice president of hockey operations and assistant general manager. And I had a year left on my uh, contract uh, club option just prior to the, uh, the COVID break. And uh, I was actually back in Canada traveling to see my daughters because the borders were starting to shut. And I received a call from Rob Blake that they weren't going to pick up my option. Probably the lowest moment I've had in sports. Uh, it just, just cause you're kind of, not only are you dealing with the outside forces of the, the thing, but it just kind of hits you right between the eyes. And, and I've had a lot of great successes. And I think that's part of, you know, what we're going to get talked about. And I guess even with your mindset and your body bags, it's just, it's that ability to, when you're down, you know, you got when you got to really show your true colors. And, and it's been a tough time. Uh, everybody in, like Brian Burke immediately said, I'm going to be unemployed as long as I want to be unemployed. And, and that's really good when you have all these people calling you and telling that. But in the middle of a pandemic, when owners aren't hiring anybody, it, it's a tough time. So you've got to find ways to stay, keep yourself busy. I did some consulting with the team uh, for the NHL draft. I was very prepared for it. And then something popped up that uh, people were calling me about. I've always been on the other side of the camera where you're being interviewed, sort of like, like this kind of stuff, Robbie. And then all of a sudden I get a call from Elliot Friedman and he said, listen, you know, would you like to do the, uh, come and be a guest on the NHL uh, Sportsnet draft and I was like oh man here I, I'm <laughs> so if I do this people are going to think I'm an actor and that I've sold yeah, out yeah. but it was, it was for years people have been telling me you got a face for radio <laughs> well I know I'm same thing and, I, and sure enough I go in and the, and the, and the entire 
like it's makeup and it's earpieces. And I'm, I'm like this, like if I tell a story, <laughs> it's usually with a beer and there's no time yeah. on it. And I've got an earpiece in and a producer's yelling at me, hurry up, hurry up, tell the Drew Doughty story, but tell it in 30 <laughs> seconds. And I was just like, and I was literally so frustrated. Here I am thinking, this was oh supposed God. to be, this is supposed to be fun and I'm losing my mind. And yeah. then I went out after and Berkey and, and Elliot just said, listen, just, be yourself. That's what's going to make this fun. And I, you know what? I laughed it off, went in the next day and just, I had a blast with it. And they were, the producers were waiting for me after. And they said, listen, when'd you come back and do, uh, and do the uh, NHL free agency on the Friday. So I ended up going back and that was way more. I ended up having my own little, well, now you knew what and, to expect, right? Oh, exactly. And you could tell <laughs> yeah. stories and you were not because really nothing was going on. Like right. you've got your two guys up, Elliot Friedman and Chris Johnson are up waiting to break stories and you're down. Basically they're in your ear. Okay tell a story because nobody's being signed <laughs> some space yeah, what do you got for us you got place. three hours and then you got yeah. you know david david amber and and it was in shot and again burke he was there who it was really good for me because i knew all these guys through being on the other side and they made sure. the transition like elliot freeman yeah. was like you have no idea the respect i have when i left there and how good he is and how natural yeah. it is for these guys to conduct those things and how calming they can be but long story short sports ended kind of in the interim it talked to me about getting involved a little bit more uh, that was yeah. kind of their last hockey gig. So that's something that I've been, uh, I've met with some teams through the zoom process. It's our, it's about getting back in from the hockey side, which is sure. something like really is my passion to do. Uh, yeah. but the sports net stuff's fun. So I've kind of bouncing around the thoughts of maybe doing a little bit of sports net analyst stuff until the proper hockey situation comes along and who knows, maybe you do fall in love with that side of it. But as for yeah. now, it was more of a enjoyable blip of, uh, of the memory bank. Well, well listen, you know, you, you know, a bunch of us were watching you and I thought you did a great job. You look natural. If there was any sweating going on, it was, it wasn't visible. And I'll tell you, you handled a couple of situations where they threw it up to you, especially oh. that one with the Russian kid. The Russian like, player. Hey Mike, what do you got? And you're like, no. uh, I got crickets. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. And it was so funny because they knew ahead of time that yeah. LA had shut off all my notes, right? So right. I was going, I told them in the first round, I'm going to be gold because I know all the top guys. So sure. figure out. So as soon as they, Columbus takes this guy, Shimakov, now I know him like yeah. he's my son. Nobody knows him. And, and, <laughs> and Sam Cosentino. Went, way off the list. Sam, oh, Sam Cosentino, literally. like, yeah. And just launches awesome. it up top, just throws it right at mine, Elliot Freeman. Yeah. So everybody's now looking at me and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm flipping through my notes and then I all of a sudden Christian Rutu who was my European scout in LA he's sending me all, he's snapshotting all my notes because he can access oh, my that's awesome stuff. so he's throwing me he goes Mike oh, you like dude. this guy you like this guy and I'm like okay <laughs> okay okay but it was just such a wow. and then, it, then I then I told immediately told the story this is exactly like if you're sitting at a draft table sure. and this guy's name comes up and you don't have him on your list and your general manager looks at you like are you yeah. kidding me? You're, You're going to lose prepared. your job. Who is this guy? Yeah. You're not ready. You're not prepared. And Dean Lombardi, we had a couple of those. So I, I immediately went to that scenario. And by the time I knew this guy inside and out, by the time the show was over and they were just having too much fun with it. And I, I oh thought it was God. odd. Like I thought initially that it would look, you know what, this is going to look really good. And then Elliot was yeah. like, that was the best part of the show. Like oh we my had God. so many positive hits because it was so natural and you're it supposed was. to have all these. And then I'm calling like Brad Trelleving traded back three times to get yeah, a guy he I really wanted. That. So yeah. here's, here's Columbus that's got no pick to the fourth round and they had every chance to do the exact same thing and they pull this guy out of the stars. And apparently, I guess he's a good player. Somebody, yeah. it'll be like, again, when I was a part of the Wayne Simmons draft, everybody says they didn't know him. And then if he yep. turns out, everybody's going to go, that's, where I had. that's exactly yeah. where I have. Yeah. Love the kid. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, it was a great story. It'll, it'll move on. I know well, I look forward to my next trip to Russia because I will meet this kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put his picture in my wallet and we'll grow from there. Other. But it was, it was certainly, they said that. You was know what? Just, that had to be one of the best saves ever. And you know what? I know oh. Sammy Cause. We went to a grade oh, school. Our, our dads know each other. And I saw him lob that up and I was just oh. like, and, and the oh. look on your face when you, well, when you caught I, that was like, fuck what do i do with this now exactly i mean i was gonna swear and then i looked down at sammy i think hey sammy what does your parents do for a living or something just like because they're every 
every question these guys had, like Berkey was talking like, yeah, he's bum fishes, his dad fishes and everybody. And now yeah, they got yeah. this guy and they're all laughing because they've oh thrown God. it up to the expert and he's yeah, got yeah. No, no clue this guy is. <laughs> and it was just anyway, and Sammy was literally genuinely, because he's such a pro, he was yeah. devastated after. And yeah. I had to tell, like, they had to go down and resuscitate him because he's like, I can't, I can't, I can't believe I did that to Futes. And I'm like, Sammy, yeah. that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. But it was, it, it was pretty you know, good. So you handled it, the, you handled it like a KG vet there. So we've had, you know, we've had just, numerous, just going we've had back numerous, onto one of your stories was awesome. Yeah. And then having, having Rutu there to back you up and, uh, oh. and throw some notes at you, you know, you owe, you owe him a steak dinner and a beer for oh. sure, huh? And, uh, maybe two steaks with him. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> awesome, man. What a great experience, though, right? So, I mean, you know, here's a, here's an opportunity where you, you get probably the worst news of your life. You get an opportunity like this. And this is, you know, kind of what I talk about. One door closes and another one opens. And it's all how you look at these opportunities and, and how you compartmentalize them yourself. You can take it and you can go, woe is me. You know, fuck, this sucks. Or you can go, hey, you know what? Okay, this is happening for a reason. And it's happening because... There's other things that are making room in my life right now, right? And now this presents itself. You go on there, you have a little bit of fun. Yeah, you're sweating it because you don't know. But the second time around, you got this and you handle it like a pro, Mike. I mean, you, you know, you, you just had, you just got to go and have fun with these situations. Well, I appreciate it. I think that's why the guy said it was like the producers, like it was so natural. Yeah. There was no BS. You didn't flag it. And that's what we needed. He goes, we need more of that because there's a lot of, guys that are so scripted and they're like cardboard stru structures up there to go up and have some fun with it. And they knew I was going to have some fun with it. They just had to, like I as the one thing I've really had to what be careful of is swearing because yeah. we do tend to like you and I sitting on a plane is very, and you can, you're still in that element where you can do that because you're, yeah. you're a motivator and stuff, but I've got to, I've got to reel that back in when I'm on. And I know, I guess I dropped an F bomb on the fan the other day, which I was totally oblivious <laughs> to. <laughs> But it's like, as soon as you get it, you know, call me my mom. She goes, you just swore. <laughs> Listen, if anybody calls you out and your mom calls you out, you just go, I did okay, it. you got me. I had, to, I had to use the, it wasn't fake news. I had to use the empirical evidence and I went back and heard it. And I did, I did slide a one silver in there and, yeah, and got yeah. it out of the way. But it, it's, but it's true though. When you just go back about how your, your worst day of your life, my God, I mean, I've worked in the national hockey league for 13 years and I got teams calling me. To get, to get back in it and I mean so if that's the worst day of my life I mean I was reading your you look at what you, what you went through you know you almost lost your life yeah. you know I look I always I always I've got this little girl Grace Bowen who died of cancer she's all on my Facebook yeah. and every time I feel sorry for myself about something like that you know after the the career I've had and it's still going to continue on it Absolutely. just puts a real it puts reality of what a real bad day is yeah. what a real bad day is in your life I mean yeah. I'm fortunate enough I still had through this you know, I could sit here for four months. I basically got time back with my kids that I was 13 years of travel and my mom and dad, who got, I've still got them in my life. Yep. We just reconnected at another level. So is it, is and along with my sister. So you, you, you yeah. take a bad situation. And then, I mean, thank God I was, had a friend step up for me and he allowed me to quarantine at his house. I had no idea how much cake this guy made, but the house I'm in, the house I'm in has its own gym. It has like a 20, 23rd, a wine cellar that's got stuff. I've been Googling the stuff that I could, I could just steal all his wine and retire. <laughs> but it, so when you have a your friend that steps up out of the blue, Blair MacArthur through Quinn Moyer and just yeah. said, Hey, I got an empty house. Do your quarantine there. And I'm still here. I'm kind of like Cato Kalen. I call this. I'm still here, but it's empty. And he has never once, he understands what I'm going through. There's yeah. a bedroom for each one of my daughters. And it just, again, shows that when you, you surround yourself with people that really care, you get through stuff like this, right? You know what? So the, the universe has a way of providing, you know, and, oh. and you're right. If you go through your life and you're a good person and you're doing the right things, you know who the people are that got your back at the end of the day. You know, oh, and they, they and step it, up in those times. And I've seen that myself too, you know. And I went through, and Robbie, the funny thing is, because, you know, we see each other on the, at the airport and stuff the other day. There's guys, <laughs> like, I know there's guys that, you know, from when we grew up and played that they're like, what happened? How did he get that? Like, you yeah. know, and they're, and they're envious. Some of them are jealous or a few to whatever. A few is always a kiss ass. You, you don't get jobs like this by doing that. You have to have the substance. Just yeah. the fact that I, my, I guess my personality, I mean, I was captain of almost every team I played on, not because I was the best player, but I think it was because the way I had this 
ability and it's a genuine one it's through my parents to bring people together the same kind of leadership that you had it comes doesn't come far i mean i know the guy who says the same birthday as me is your dad okay there's certain we're gonna get into that yeah no but there's certain father that you know like i know the kind of leader my dad was and i know from growing up the presence that your dad had in a in a rank was beyond words so that stuff that you're very proud that wears off on you and you have that ability that i took a lot of shortcuts as a player and when that little crack cracked open the door again for me to get through in management, I just knocked it down. Like it was, I was knocking it down. I was not going to take another shortcut. And I realized because the equivalent of my ice hockey career was a, a you know, a Bremerhaven division one or a Denmark division one championship. I didn't have an NHL career to go back on. So I had to outwork all these guys to have any chance of succeeding at what I did. And that, and that's kind of what spurred on to where, you know, how things got going for me. But you saw an opportunity. Look at, hey, number one, your, your career is nothing to sneeze at. You got paid to play. There's a lot of kids <laughs> that don't get paid to play, no. right? Yeah. But, yeah. You know, and, and you know, yeah. I went through the same thing. What did I have? I, I, I went to an NHL camp. I played a couple exhibition games and I kicked around the minor leagues uh, as a, as a quasi fighter. Not exactly an ideal professional hockey career, yeah. but I look back on all of these things now and I go, okay, they shaped who I became, right? And they opened up other doors for me later. And now it's it's an opportunity like, hey, I'm coming back hat in hand from a game that I walked away from 25 years ago and I hated it. You know, and I get an opportunity now to to come at it from a different perspective, not from a successful guy that made a gazillion dollars playing in the NHL, but coming back saying, hey, you know what, I now realize all of the problems or the issues and the finger pointing that I did were my own. And if I can help some young guy avoid that minefield and make better decisions and not blame others for their shortcomings or their their lack of success, but own it and then also give them some building blocks to prepare for when the game ends because it ends and they have to go on and do something else. They're not sitting there. And I'm sure, you know, a bunch of guys wake up the next day and go, what the fuck do I do now? Yeah. Well, you know? that's that, that kind of attitude. The one thing you said is you can just feel it in the way you talk. When you talk to me about your project. Okay. How much fun and how much, I mean, you've got a great lady in your life. You're at a great place in your life, but you're excited about your project. Right. And that's the thing. Every day, one thing in my, I woke up, I woke up just, I'm in the National Hockey League, just can't wait. Like, whether you're like numb, like when you're boarding that, yeah. that private jet, you're every day, it never got old. It was like, yeah. I just, it'd be like, but I mean, I had to realize that I can't go into these things, like in these meetings of guys I used to collect their hockey cards and sit here and roll over. Right. I got to do my job. And all of a sudden, I became, the quote unquote boss or the, or the leader of that group. And I, I, once again, I had to lay a track record down for them to take a look at it and go, wow, I, I mean, I'm going to learn a lot from this guy and this side of the game, the management side about what he brought to the table and the guys that the guys whose lives, because he was involved at a young age that are succeeding, that come back and speak highly of you. It, it just changes your life. And it, it allows you to think that anything's achievable, right? Anything's achievable. Oh, for sure, Mike. And I listen. So, talk a little bit about that transformation, right? Because you know, we go back to playing junior against each other, right? And you know, and and we didn't play on the same team, but we played against each other. And you know, and then your career started. Uh, you know, you went down. You went to York. You went to Europe. You started to do the follow the player path, and then that changed. Talk well, a little bit about that. Share it, how that happened. It's funny, Robbie, because I was captain of Henry Carr Crusaders and I was supposed to go to Yale, right? I got in academically and uh, the infamous, they call it, Dan Cameron calls it the shot heard around the world. I scored it in my own net intentionally. And it was, a I was called for making a travesty of hockey and given a, basically I was given a lifetime ban and Cameron was given a lifetime ban. I was reinstated <laughs> three hours later and voted most valuable player, most gentlemanly player. And Dan was, <laughs> they were just looking for somebody to get I Dan. Know, I know that story. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so I was, I lost my scholarship. Uh, it ended up being that I go to York. We win a national championship. My dad says, do me a favor, get your teaching degree before you go off on your little, you know, your gallivant. Yep. Cause he knew I was going to take a shot at minor sure. pro. And uh, I got my teaching degree. I uh, ended up James Richmond, a uh, good, good friend of both of ours, who was my really one of my idols growing up. Because Captain Henry Carr, which he would love to hear that. Oh my God! I was going to say, <laughs> if he's, he's listening to this, his head well, just got really big. <laughs> well, it's, it's, 
<laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Not going to go there. <laughs> JR, JR knows, you know we love you, pal. Well, JR knows what I think of him. Uh, yeah. and, he, and he brought me over. He brought me to Europe. And, uh, and I was kind of like, he was my coach too. So there was nothing like, there was a little thing we joked about is James, the coach that was there got fired about three hours after JR arrived. He became the coach. And so there's nothing like having your coach banks gate. Yeah. Like yeah. JR just go out to center with his whistle on and then bank. And then, and then he's by centerman too. So I'd be like, and then we were living together. Yeah. So it was like, we had the most incredible time. We had the most oh, incredible man. time in Europe. And then I ended up signing a contract to go back to Denmark and we won the Danish championship. And I was going back to play again in Germany and I blew my shoulder out and I got a call at the time as fate would have it. My old principal had left a note at St. Mike's who was our arch rival and said, listen, uh, he was killed in a car accident. I had put one of my national championship rings in his casket. His name was father Ted McLean. And he left a note saying, if Mike feud ever comes back to St. Mike's hire him. And uh, they brought me in. Peter Miller from Henry Carr brought me in. And I was like, it was like bringing in the Henry Carr guy into St. Mike's. It was like yeah. they were looking for yeah. the Lubitschitz yeah. brothers. Everybody was sweating hard. They were, <laughs> everybody was terrified. So I go in and I said, I'll stay, but I, don't, I just want to coach your team. I don't want to teach. And I was, it was probably a bit of a ballsy call, but I want to coach. I don't want to teach. And you've got a match, which wasn't great. I think it was like 65000 I was making in Europe. You've got to match my teaching salary with – a coaching salary, which at the time, like, I think Frank Carnavalli had a heart attack because your two coaches weren't supposed to make that kind of money. But yeah. I was, everybody just heard, you're getting paid what to coach tier two? And I went, no, no, it's, it's hey, part of it. You know what? Green. You stepped up and you asked. If you don't ask, you don't know. No, no, no. Right. And it happened. It worked out. Uh, we had a great year. I had a bunch of guys like Rob Davison. We, we, we did very well at St. Mike's and then they flipped the team over to an OHL team and they transferred me over. Like I just re recruited Mike Camilleri. So I was at the time I was bummed that I ended up going in the OHL as an assistant coach with Mark Napier. Napes moved up all of a sudden I'm 27 years old and I'm a head coach of the St. Mike's majors and expansion team. We're getting outshot about 65 to 10 every night. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the bench. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this could be, here I am thinking I'm going to be the next Scotty Bowman and I'm going to be fired by the time I'm 27 and a half. <laughs> yeah. But it was a great experience. And I mean, Mark Osborne comes on board and I learned so much from him as a coach and a person. And then I did, I ended up getting fired and it was like, Oh, but I had put in the time that the people around the league knew how hard I'd worked. So immediately like Bert Templeton and Brian Killery started to call me to come on board as an assistant. And I get hired by the Oshawa generals in an assistance role. And we still here. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I lost you, but so I, I ended up going back and I get it, you. okay. As long as you have me, that's all that matters. I lost you. <laughs> But he's so, so I get this opportunity in Oshawa as assistant coach, assistant general manager. I realized right then after watching George Burnett run a practice that I am miles away from being a, you know, a first rate, right. Be ready as a re realistic head coach. He starts to slide me more to the management side. Sherry Basson comes in and all of a sudden these guys are like, you know, you're really more built for the management side. Other teams started to call about me coming back in a, in a head coaching position. And I literally was like, you know, I really think I'm a coach and they're like, well, we're telling you right now, you're, you're management. And if an opportunity comes like that, you got to jump at it. So the own sound situation comes up. I'm now, all, I'm running all the under 17 programs by then. So I've got like coaching Mike Richards and Corey Perry and you know the list the is like, you're, yeah. You're, and they're like, you've got insider trading facts on these. And I go up, Owen sound offers me the job uh, at the time there was, you know, there were the, the doormat of the OHL. Nobody wanted to play there. And, but it was a chance for me to just embrace it, bring my own people in and start my own culture. And I mean, I started off by, um, I ended up bringing in uh, Mark Giordano, uh, who had already, they'd already started the process through Frank Carnavalli. And I mean, I'm Peter Mavarudis brought me to watch him play and you hear these names holy smokes oh, like peter mavarudis brings me to the giordano house after i watch him and then the rest is history i i pull yeah. him out of he, he gave up his scholarship he comes in as an undrafted kid he as a 19 year old um ends up being the ohl defenseman the year still never drafted and now you know where he's obviously oh, he's captain the calgary flames yeah. brought in uh the, the first player i ever drafted uh they couldn't get any americans to come so i i, I ended up bringing bobby ryan who at the time was ranked first overall, but he had a scholarship yeah. to Michigan. So I had to knock down some walls to get him there. Hired a coach, Mike Stuthers, who ended up being one of So by the, the end of it, I've got Bobby Ryan, who goes number two overall to Sidney Crosby. Um, I've got Andre Secura, 
Paul Bissonette, uh, Brad Richardson's up there. Uh, we drafted Joey Hish. It, it, the list starts to, it's just, it was unbelievable the guys that we had. And now we were ranked number two in Canada. The program had gained, we were on, we were on the map and it was one of the most gratifying things because everybody said it couldn't be done. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I bring in Trevor Lewis and that opens up a door where Dean Lombardi, Trevor Lewis is now the first round pick of the Los Angeles Kings and Dean Lombardi and Ron Hextall come up and Ron Hextall still says it all happened at Montana's. They put Ron Hextall, who I was terrified of. I, I had seen his, all I saw the him. Only guy. There was a lot I, of guys I, that were terrified I, of him. Yeah, I didn't want to, I had that dream of him, that Ron Hextall, when uh, Chris Chelios, when he oh my came God. storming out and almost, two-handed and I'm sitting across from this perfect gentleman waiting for that side to rear its head and he ended up he and Dean Lombardi said listen we want to fly you down to Los Angeles and I was married I had three beautiful kids Olin Sound was home uh we were the program was in a great spot uh and I ended up going down they offered me something that I didn't think was fair at the time my wife at the time who's now my ex-wife she was really excited about the opportunity and uh, I ended up taking the job as director of amateur scouting and I guess the rest is kind of it went very well within three I was hired three weeks before the draft and the first kid that I, I was only responsible for kids from Ontario in that first draft and they didn't have Wayne Simmons on their list so Dean asked me to go into the group and just say okay what's going on here Mike Feud has got this guy at number two on his list overall and you guys don't even have him on your list and he basically said to them, he thinks you're, he thinks you guys, he thinks you guys are fucking idiots, <laughs> which I almost died because here I'm meeting all these guys. And I'm like, guys, yeah. I, I didn't actually say that. That's Dean. Yeah. That's word for word what he said. Oh and then he God. just closed the door and goes, well, figure it out. So by the end of it, got Wayne Simmons at like 10th overall in the first round. And then Dean says, well, where are we going to take this guy? I mean, and I said, well, nobody's really even called me about him. Uh, so we can take him in like the sixth or seventh. Dean Lombardi just loses his mind, loses his mind on me. He goes, well, I, I knew I shouldn't have hired you, you idiot. He goes, whatever. He called me a hump or something like that. And then he said, no uh, oh yeah. He goes, you, uh, I brought you in, you proved your point and now you're going to try and hide and not take the kid where he belongs. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so we ended up having a first round pick and then we had two second round picks so Wayne Simmons is calling me going, you know, he thinks I've deserted him. He goes, thanks for bringing yeah. me to Owen Sound and deserting me feuds. Now, you know, what, do you, what am I going to do now? You've left. And I said, well, I'll try and invite you as a tryout. I'll try and get you a tryout in the NHL. And he's just yeah. livid with me. Livid. But I can't tell him what's going on. So that yeah. draft day rolls around and here's the second round. And Dean Lombardi just looks at me and they push the microphone in front of me. And I'm like in the second round, the uh, Los Angeles Kings take Wayne Simmons. You could have heard a pin drop. My <laughs> phone, like Steve spot. These guys are calling me saying, I hope you didn't sell your house. No one sound. You're going to be fired. In the next <laughs> so your boys are your boys like a little positive reinforcement. Oh, from yeah. your buddies, thanks. Eh? thanks boy. Pete DeBoer is the only guy that said, yeah. you know what? Feuds, that's a great pick. And I was like, well, yeah. thanks Pete. Cause everybody else is just killing me here. Yeah. But, so Simmer comes in. First of all, Simmer, I get told the story that Simmer almost drove off the highway because he was, I guess, going to the gym because he'd been told by me that he wasn't getting drafted. And here he gets drafted in the second round and he goes down and almost makes the team in his first year. And, uh, and he ends up never playing a game in the minors. I mean, he ends up, Amazing. The, he's, what's he got, 860 games under his belt or 920 or something. And yeah. now he's a Toronto Maple Leaf. But now I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's a great story. And even when he called me, like he called, I, he did his call and he called me the morning of yeah. when I was doing the sports net thing. And he said, well, if you want to break the story feuds, I'm going to play for the Leafs. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't break stories. I mean, uh, he, yeah. so he worked it out with Anthony Stewart. I said, but I am proud of you. Uh, and I know this is your long, is his dream. He was offered more money to play in different places, but I mean, it's such an incredible story for me because of how far we've come together and i mean and those are guys that just make you look make you look great because oh they just took a chance, first class right i mean you saw something in these guys that <laughs> that maybe nobody else did you took a chance you put your balls on the line you put them out there and they delivered and that's what you say Rob, because if you know someone's never going to let you down with their effort and they're and they're never going to cheat like you always we talk about the guys that the whatever we all the old term was the eddie haskell the guys that when the rep, when the coach walks yeah, yeah. by, they're doing doing extra reps and their shirts off and they're throwing. Coach, and as soon as yeah. the, as soon as the coach leaves, they start taking shortcuts. And then there's guys that 
that work harder when the coach and the trainer isn't in the room. And those are the guys, like that was, that was the way Mark Giordano was. That was the way Wayne Simmons was. So I knew that if I was going to put my career on the line or name on the line for them, if we failed, we were going to fail together because we we're going to die on the tracks right. trying to get there. They were never going to let me down with their effort. They're never going to let me down with their actions. And, and, and then they just took it to another level, yeah. which it's them doing the work. You, you, make a great, you, got, you make a great point there, Mike. You know, sorry, it's just, I just want to, you know, reinforce this for any of the young guys that are listening. You know, what Mike's just saying there is, hey guys, it's not what you do when people are watching. It's what you do when no one is watching, when it's just you, you know, and you're, you're trying to make that, you're making yourself better, not trying to make yourself look better, right? And, oh, and, and those that's things it. don't go unnoticed, right? The well, cream that, rises to the top. Yeah, that's, that's for me, is the biggest difference between um, even the, the certain players and I, get, I think it was one, it's probably one of the biggest strengths I have in the industry is when I sit down across from somebody, I, get, I can, like, I might not let them know, but I can, I can really tell whether they're full of it or whether they're, they're telling you the truth. Um, yeah. I mean, I have one player, I can't give his name because it is let, but I mean, I he, he, he's an incredible, he's turned out to be a great player, played for the Leafs, but in, I, I knew that this kid smoked pot, right? And I mean, God, like, I mean, it wasn't, but, I wanted to get this kid to come in. I had heard it was a bit of an issue in junior and I wanted this kid to come in and tell me the truth. Yeah. And I brought him in in front of Dean Lombardi and I asked him the question. It's like, you already, knew, I already knew the answer. And he yeah. said, I swear to God, I've never, I've never smoked pot in my life. And I just said, okay, you're going to have to leave. I wish you the best of luck wherever you're drafted. I said, we can't, we can't work together if you can't tell me the truth. Yeah. Uh, at this stage, if I can't believe in, in you now, and he got up and he couldn't believe that because we've known each, I'd coached him. And, and then there's a knock on the door like 15 minutes later. And he, I open the door, I go, Hey, and he goes, I smoke weed. <laughs> I smoke pot. Book him down. You're and I was like, hey, there you go. But I mean, it's like, it wasn't like, I didn't exactly Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, him, but yeah. all I wanted to say to him was, Hey, there's a lot of kids in the draft. That I assume that smoke pot, but be honest. Don't yeah. lie to us. So yeah. Dean said, you're back in the list, kid. You're back in the list. Yeah. You, go, you know, it's not, you know, we obviously got to make sure that he's not Cheech and Chong or anything like that. But all we wanted to do was you're telling us the truth. You're not going to lie to us about what you do with your, because it's too important. We, we need you to be, we need to have the real deal. And it's, yeah. it's incredible the, the amount of stories you have that way with the, but again, it's those, it's the kids that do the real work that are just never gonna, I mean, there was a kid, Curtis McDermott, that I, his dad was my owner. And I mean, he's now, if it was a throwback into the seventies, he'd be making millions. He's, he, he's probably as tough as Ryan Reeves. He's like six foot four, 255 pounds with like 7% body fat, but he's literally, he's made himself into a guy that can actually play as a six now. But I mean, I called him and I said, Jeremy, I'll draft you with the seventh pick with the last pick in the seventh round. Um, but I really like to use it on somebody else, but if you trust me, I'll bring you to camp. And if you're as good as anybody else, we'll sign you right there. He just looked at me and goes, Putes, I trust you. Yeah. So he comes into yeah. training camp. He was terrible, like terrible. But yeah. I called Dean Lombardi and I said, you wouldn't believe this kid sacrificed being drafted in the NHL because he believed in us. And I said, I guarantee you, this kid will not make us look bad. And at worst, he's going to kill guys. He's like the undertaker. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, D D Dean goes, I can't believe we're going to sign this kid. Like he was playing junior B and no one sounded at the time, but we wow. signed him. And then I think he's played 200 games in the NHL. Like it's unbelievable. And it's, it's, awesome. first of all, he comes in and the first, you, you only, you take, you only have one chance to make a good first impression. That's it. He, he wins the, he wins the fitness testing in like his, his rookie camp fitness tests were comparable to the NHL guys. So you tell me that's who you make in a, the first impression you make when, yeah. when they don't like the coach NHL coach at your first camp, when he picks up the fitness test, doesn't go, when he looks at the top, he's really pissed at the guy that gets first overall, you know, if your first overall pick is at the bottom of the list, yeah, he's got, he's got a problem. It yeah. makes, it makes us, but he also, it tells the guy, if you've got guys that have risen up that continually, like Alec Martinez and Trevor Lewis every year were at the top of our fitness test. The coaches all of a sudden immediately gain those players trust. And they're not your, you know, they're not your superstar Superstars. players, so to speak, yep. but right away you, you've got your coaches trust because you've superseded everybody else with your fitness tests. Yep. And that's such a big thing. That's why every stone unturned 
to, to leave everything on the table is, is the only way you're going to be able to really achieve the ultimate goal. It's amazing. There's so many guys that you, that you don't hear about because you don't know the behind the scenes stories like that. Right. And it's so important for these young guys to make sure that they become rounded individuals and players. Right. So it's not just what they do on the ice. It's not the stat sheet. It's not how many goals and assists. It's what are those efforts like off the ice? What's your training like? You know, talk a little bit, Mike, at, at that level, you know, how impactful is something like, you know, mindset training. Is that something that you guys did at all? Was there coaches like, did guys have individual support? You know, how much, what were their routines and their habits like? So that, you know, like, and I, I, a lot of, a lot of times I'll refer to that Michael Jordan video where he was just so present. Now he's a, you know, phenomenally unique individual when it comes to that, but he was able to just put himself into such a moment and take something that he would use to drive him to perfection is that something it's, you saw in the it, game it's huge but not enough more now more now yeah. like that's like when you called me about your stuff we we brought it in about three four years ago dean lombardi and this is no knock on dean dean was a, yeah. a he looked he felt he was our general manager at the time and he felt he was the he, he basically took on the role of team psychologist he wanted if players had problems he wanted them to bring it to him and, and his coaching staff, and he'd deal with it. He, he, he knew all their families, and Daryl Sutter was very similar, whereas somebody like Brian Burke, I, I don't know her name offhand, but he had somebody all the time, like from Bobby Ryan's, everybody's heard the Bobby Ryan story. When sure. we had Bobby, when we had Bobby, and she, he credits her with keeping him alive, it, she would come in and deal with him. She was with the Anaheim Ducks and dealt with yeah. those things on a daily basis, the, the players' mindsets, and just thinking how huge that is to be in the right frame of mind, and you think because these are guys are great players that they all have incredible amounts of confidence, but some of them, the depression and lack of confidence they have yeah. that, I mean, it's still, it's the same thing. They're human beings. And if they feel they're failing and they feel it slipping away now, in some cases, they've got more money to cause problems. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you're, if your things are slipping away and you have access to millions of dollars to, to put the wrong things in your body, it could snowball in a hurry. And yeah. I think having somebody in that capacity, is huge like with the areas that you're trying to look at now because it's and it's i think it's it helps a lot more the elite athlete but if you yeah. don't deal with it at a if you don't deal with it at a younger age now uh, and see the importance of the focus and the mental toughness it might close the door and ever getting the chance to be there uh and whether it's role acceptance like you see like not all these guys that scored 40 50 goals and peewee and bantam so a, lot, a lot of them are on checking lines. Like, look yeah. at Alan McCauley. Alan McCauley won the Canadian Hockey Player of the Year two years and, and went down in the NHL as one of the best defensive centers. He, he, he yeah. put, up, put up very few numbers. Uh, Mark Osborne, yeah. these guys were junior superstars that ended up being, you know, they bought into roles. They, they bought into yeah. roles. And, and there are certain guys that just can never get there because they refuse to – you know, I, again, I won't give names, guys. It just always looked at their and I said, I'm a goal scorer. Like you're misusing me. Yeah. It, well, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. while you're sitting, while you're sitting there complaining and pouting in the corner, somebody's going to accept the role yeah. and take your job. So, but again, every capacity of it is, is so there. It's like no stone unturned. I mean, the mental side of it, the physical side of it, the nutrition side of it, everything. Sometimes you almost think maybe it's a little overkill, but it's not. Like we had a few, we had some kids after our second cup get themselves into trouble with, um, we got arrested. Okay. We had a kid charged with domestic violence. Slav Voyanov, Mike Richards had a problem with Oxycontin. Uh, Jared Stoll had some issues in Las Vegas. And all of a sudden we we're like the bad boys. And, and Dean hired a, his name was uh, Brett Myers, who was a, a, a lifelong fighter in the league. Who's who'd yeah, been like 10, 10, 12, 10, 12 years sober. Like his story yeah. is frightening, like yeah. frightening. Um, and now he was just brought in as a, as a counselor to just, if guys had things on their mind, they needed to talk about a regular drink for stress that, you know, he had an office downstairs. So now it was, you don't have to go to the coach and, and, and Mizey had signed a contract that he couldn't bring any problem to management or the coaching staff without the player's permission. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a leaky, nobody looked at him as the snitch, right? Right, right, it was, right, right. It, right. It, so you gotta, have that, you gotta have that trust, right? One hundred percent. If you blow that, if you blow that, yeah, even done. with one player and it gets out, you're you're done. You're done yeah. because that that whole thing is to have that confidence that when you're at a moment of weakness and you're sharing this, sharing, you know, a weakness that it's not going to get exposed, not going to get exposed. 
Mike, you use the word mental toughness. How do you think the players today, where is their mental toughness versus, you know, and I hate to use the old school guys like when we were, you know, at, at, our, at our prime, is there, is there a difference? What's the, you know, what do you see from your end at the highest levels? Well, Cause I've heard different people it, it, say it, that the kids today are softer, the young guys are softer. And you, you've talked about a couple of examples and I hate to use generalities, but I think that there's been some some generational change over the last that, I, that, That's it. Like, I mean, I think when guys sit and say the, the, the players were so much better back then, I think they're full of it. Like these kids now are just superior athletes. Oh, talent-wise, no question. But that's, that's where I draw the – but I do think the one area that has extreme amount of validity to it is mental – the lack of mental toughness, whether kids have had age – like – it absolutely drives me crazy, crazy when a kid fires his agent before he's played a game in pro or because he didn't get drafted where he thought he was going to get drafted or like stuff like that, or the lack of accountability. And now these kids are getting agents when they're like coming out of peewee and stuff. So, and, and they're spoiled. I mean, and these agents are just doing their job. They go, yeah. They've got to recruit them. So, I mean, when you're 12 years old or 13 years old and your parents are sitting across from Bobby Orr, who I still get numb when I talk to him, sure. I'm a good friend, but I mean, yeah. you, you've got, these kids are getting a silver spoon and they have to get it till the agent has to kick them in the ass. And usually the agent goes to the organization. The one thing I love about the NHL, like I had to deal with agents in yeah. junior uh, because, you know, you'd get a lot of people at mass calling in about billet situations or school. Sure. And then it immediately turns to ice time, which you try and keep that away from the coach, but you actually have made a commitment to a young kid that you're going to make his family environment better. So I think you do own in the junior level that, that more airtime on ice time and situations like that. Um, especially if you've made those promises through recruitment. But I think part of the process for me is to also let those kids know, especially now, having been in that other chair, if you think this is going to hold up in the National Hockey League, you don't want the reputation of a person who gets silver spooned all the way. And the first time that you get, you know, you don't get to play with who you want in the National Hockey League, you're just going to get sent to the minors. Yeah. Like they tell, they tell the story. I mean, Jonathan Quick hates the story, but Jonathan Quick, who at the time, Jonathan Bernier was supposed to be our goaltender. Jonathan Quick slept in his alarm clock and he was sent mate to the East. They sent him right past the American League to the East oh, Coast. Great. Right? Yeah. Now, Jonathan Quick, Consummate Trophy winner, arguably one of the best American goalies in history. But that's the accountability level at the National Hockey League level that you've got to be accountable. And I think some of this mental toughness, the minute, well, first of all, you have, and I, I've got to watch how I say this. Yeah. I completely get, understand the diversity factor. There's no place for that. But now if a coach, if a coach yells at a player, you know, you got to be careful what you say. There's, sure, right. you don't, there's no place you hear about these coaches that kick players on the bench. That was, you know, you can say, um, we've bought, you would, I, you've got, you've probably got another podcast we could do on coaches that did the wrong thing, sure. said the wrong thing, physically yeah. and verbal abuse, mental sure. abuse. Yeah. And that's, that's, there's no place for that anymore, but yeah, no. you have to be able to hold somebody accountable. Yeah. And if you yell at somebody now, you almost have to articulate your anger in such a way that you're not thrown to a lawsuit or, yeah. <laughs> you know it, what I mean? And that, it, and that to I me, is, that, that, to, that, that part of it has got to be like just a slippery slope sometime. Cause well, you want to, you want to assert your, 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 um, you know, your rules or, or your, your uh, uh, level of, of of concern to them and you want them to know that it's an urgent and this has to be done, but you can't do it in the way that our coaches used to yell at us. And we were just like, okay, coach and, and get out there, you know? Well, I think you could, there's gotta be a fine blend of somebody that can hold someone accountable, yell at them, love them, you yeah. know, talk them up when they're down. And that's the, that's why, I mean, I think that's why coaches are getting, but I mean, you see guys like when I hear stuff, I mean, like the way a, like a Babcock, talk to players and stuff like that. And I'll give you a perfect example. And I love them. I've become much better friends with them. Daryl Sutter, who, yeah. I mean, I'm on, the, my name's on the Stanley cup twice because of Daryl Sutter and what he did for our group coming in. Sure. But I'll, I'll tell you a story about, uh, I was in charge with Luke Robitaille. We were playing an outdoor game against San Jose. And it, it's something you actually sign a waiver for these outdoor games now that, and I guess Bruce Boudreau was the first to do it, but they, they mic your coach. Right. And you get the backstage pass to watch the coach 
whether he's laughing or joking or whether he's losing his marbles at NHL. And it's pretty interesting TV. I mean, I mean the Boudreaux one where he <laughs> swore, swore his head up. But yeah. so Daryl Sutter went in the first day and he was mic'd up and Luke Robitaille asked me to come into his office. He goes, okay, Futes, we got to edit the, we got to edit Daryl today. And so I, we plugged in Daryl and it was like watching, like, I don't know whether you could, <laughs> we were looking at the screen and like, and and then Luke first was like, food, food, did he just say that? <laughs> Was that that bad? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> how long a delay you got? To, how long a delay you got? Was it live or was it fully editable? We could have put, well, by the end of it, we said, well, what can we use? And I said, well, right after he says, okay, guys, <laughs> everything after that, we can't it's a use. great game. There's nothing. In other words, that, that never came up, but it was like, and so, and then Daryl, of course, Daryl Daryl wants to win the outdoor game. He doesn't care yeah. about the contract or anything like that. Sure. So they found out. And I had to kind of like, well, you know, Daryl, you know, you gotta, you gotta do this, you know, cause you maybe tone it down. And I, I get like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Futes. I'm toning it down, by the way, get out of my office. Yeah. Don't let the door hit it. So, and anyways, so Daryl somehow convinces everybody to cut all the microphones on him and around the bench <laughs> as we're, as we're heading out. So they get to the bench and he's cut every microphone. So now, ESPN or whatever it is, is losing yeah. their mind or it's the NBC because yeah. there's a contract and they've got no volume for anything. So they had to bring our assistant trainer off and mic him like he's a like an <laughs> undercover guy, like Donnie Brasco. <laughs> and then have him, you couldn't tell Daryl. Better pat him down before he talked to him. But no, Daryl didn't know, but he, he, I guess when they told the story after, Daryl laughed so hard because he almost told him to get off the bench because he had to, Every time Daryl walked down the bench, like Daryl liked his like, room in the like bench. He was like a shadow right there. Yeah, he, he, had to, <laughs> he had to shimmy him down the bench and try and catch some things Daryl was saying with the microphone for the sake of the contract. And then he'd shimmy back down the bench, shimmy down the bench. And I think there's one point he finally said, well, you get away from me. For, like, leave me alone. Like, I'm trying to coach here. And I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, coach. But it was, oh, it was a great way to get around it. But again, That's awesome, man. you talk That's about awesome. it. There's guys at the time that were like, God, we, you know, we got Daryl Sutter. We've had enough of this. It's getting too much. You know, we've won two cups. He's still on our backs. And then four months after Daryl was gone, they're like, God, we missed that. We needed that. Yeah. We needed that accountability. That's what we needed. Yeah. So, I mean, there are certain guys I'm sure he crossed the line and don't feel the same with, but 95% of the guys know that without that push to get us over the top, we wouldn't have won those cups. And I think in the first cup, Daryl Sutter, basically, and you think of the names we had on that team, oh probably God, nine or 10 awesome. NHL captains, but Daryl Sutter, I felt was the captain of that team pulling it together. And, yeah. and he well, certainly didn't do, like he, he bring cert- everybody together. Eh? And he certainly didn't do it <laughs> with the, uh, whatever Disney language. And yeah, no, well, you know, I think there's gotta be some level of, of accountability and, and integrity from the players as well. We can't become, you know, these these marshmallow players that that everybody is so soft. At some point, you're playing a professional sport. You're oh. getting paid a lot of dollars to do it. You, you know, let's let's man up a little bit. And and you know, maybe I'm not using the right term. I don't know. No, it's my podcast. Know. I can say whatever the fuck I want. So exactly. Well, you got to be careful with the man up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. You know. But it's where it does work. But it's you know what when you're talking about a, a like a, our, we're talking about our team and they're all males in this case, so you, they have yeah. to man up. But I mean, I think the the thing that you bring up that is so critical. Like what I would like to list. Somebody I got was on doing one of these things on sports, sports and somebody said, "Well, what do you think about this OHL no hitting?" And I yeah. said, "Well, I want the list of the guys playing in the OHL that are excited yeah. about that, and then I just want to scratch them off the list." Yeah. I, you know what? I, I when I heard that, I was talking to Jr. about it, and he's like, "Oh, geez, they're dropping this bomb. We got to figure out how to play without hitting." I was like, "How do you play hockey at that level without hitting?" And then what does that do to the guys? Like, you got scouts coming to watch the game; they might as well come and watch, you know, pond hockey. Oh, yeah, like, I mean, that's why I said, just hand me the list. Hand me the list yeah. of the players that think this is so, a good idea, yeah. just so I can scratch them off my list and save time because you have no chance of playing in the National Hockey League if you think that's a good idea. First of all it's beyond sensical to me because like if you watch even an NFL game right now, like where you see the, the, the greatest, you know, spit and, and impact is when you're puck protect puck protection and they're in the corner when you're on the line holding in that, like you, a a guy doesn't, if a guy catches a guy with it, nobody hits anymore like that anyways, but if a guy catches somebody with a Wendell Clark hit, he's not giving him COVID. 
Yeah. Right? No. He's no. Probably might give him a concussion, which you don't want to see <laughs> yeah. either. But, more, but, more of that. that that's a bigger but, but concern that's, than COVID. Yeah, but, and, and if you want to do, that's why they're taking headshots out, which I agree with. Yes, they're weeding 100%. fighting out, which you knew that was going to yeah. happen. Um, yeah. But taking hitting out, it's just, yeah. it's just. It's silly. Well, you, you know, that's a whole other discussion we're not going to talk about on this show, but you know, the whole, the whole, some of the, these regulations that are being imposed on sports and hockey in particular, and what you can and cannot do because it's physical and this idea of transmitting the disease through the, it's anyways. Robbie, you know, were you on, Robbie, were you on that, were you on that team with, uh, we tried, we put at that club, the club max. Club max? There, there was a bunch of those teams that came to and I remember James put this team to I love telling this because I think it's about no hitting. So they brought me out. I was playing pro in Europe and yeah. they put, they, I come into the dressing room and I don't know whether you're on the team, but it was like a who's who of all the best guys playing those Sunday leagues and stuff like everybody yeah, had yeah. played pro somewhere, but I, they put me on the fourth line with Eddie Lubacic and Ian Collins. <laughs> Right, and basically, and Rick Kernacki comes in. You got, so you like, got Groot and you got Green Mile on one side. Oh, I think exactly. I look like I look like uh, where his name is uh, Paulie dangerously walking a tag team yeah, champion. Yeah, Paulie, the, whatever the guy that Paul Heyman, and I got yeah, the, yeah. the WWE tag team champs on my line. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're basically talking to us like we're slugs, right? Like you're the fourth <laughs> line. So, and we're playing against the Chinese uh, national team. And it's, they kind of said, we're not, we, they want to play regular rules, right? And right. I got so ticked off that we weren't playing that I just looked at Ian and Eddie and I said, I'm going to start running these guys. Yeah. And I literally hit three kids as hard as you could possibly, <laughs> like one was Wendell Clark, like three guys like getting carried yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Now Eddie's giggling and Ian's, and Rick Karnacki is having a heart attack. We've actually got a real coach. Yeah, He's yeah, telling yeah. me, you, you can't hit anymore. And I said, oh yeah, watch this. Yeah, Ian yeah. Eddie's. Ian and Eddie started hitting. I said, oh you think it's God. bad when you got my 185 pound body. Now you got <laughs> yeah. 265 and 255 guys. Yeah. We got Two big so boys. Much, oh my God. We got in so much trouble. They ran him out of the building and JR got to play in his first line. <laughs> he was on the scoring line. <laughs> it was so much fun. Oh, oh we had a ball. JR likes playing on that scoring line. That's he's a finesse player, you know. He is the dirtiest finesse player in the game. Oh my God. I remember playing roller hockey against him. I was down in Miami. He was in Toronto. And I remember chasing him around the rink in Toronto one night. And he was just like, you know, I don't know. I call him lucky. I see those little legs and I wonder how they can hold him up. And I go, you're lucky those legs can hold that body up. But you know well, what? It's, what, a, well, what a guy, a great skater and an athlete. He turned one of out my favorite things I could do for him, because I couldn't, I always thought, how can I repay him for bringing me to Europe? And as much as it was, it was, it, it, it ended up not the path I want to be on the right path. So we ended up having a, a skating coach position come available with the Kings. So I convinced JR cause I knew he did the summer training with the kids and he had his, he has his about four or five drills that he does. They're pretty basic, but the kids swear by him. I know Tyler Toffoli does. Yeah. So I had him come in and, and JR was hired as our skating instructor. I had to let him know that nobody was going to lose their job. Daryl Sutter was going to stick around as the head coach and that he was just going to yeah. be the skating instructor. But JR hates when I do that, but there, there's a litany of bodies behind him and yeah. that used to be his coach. But the best yeah. thing I ever, he comes out, the kids loved him and he was great at it. But I got, I ended up, I got to show up at his, at his, uh, in front of his team in Georgetown. And he didn't know what, I didn't tell him I was flying in and I got to present him yeah. a Stanley Cup ring in front of his team. How and awesome uh, is that? it was just awesome, you just awesome. Cause you if know, he's pretty- guy, really, that lives and breathes the game. Is it not no. JR? It's, you I know, mean, I think we all, dude, we all, but there's another level of, uh, I mean, I've seen it, a lot of these guys, like they, they, yeah. they can't stop watching it, yeah. right? And it's amazing. Oh, yeah, and it's yeah. amazing how much passion they have for it. That's for sure. I've, I've gone down and I support JR and, uh, you know, I've, I've gone down to a couple of games and chatted with him after. And, uh, you know, he's just, uh, he just lives and breathes the game, man. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I, I take my hat off kudos to him. I walked away from it and I hated it. And, uh, you know, I'm coming back into it and I'm leaning on guys like you and JR to let me in again. So, uh, with the attitude and the intensity and the focus you have, it'd be a pleasure. I mean, as I said, the doors got open again for me, but, uh, and when it does, it'll open for some people like yourself around me that have been so great. And that's what I did. If that's one of the things I'm the most proud of leaving LA is I think there's 18 guys on that full-time staff that I was responsible for hiring. And, you know, and a couple of them, I mean, even a couple of people like, I mean, Ian McClellan, who was my 
director of scouting and, and, and Owen Sound goes to, you know, I get him some help. He gets hired by the St. Louis Blues. He wins the Stanley Cup. Like those are, it's not just on the ice to be able to have that kind of impact in people's lives. And it's, it's a great feeling. It's an incredible feeling. And once you've won once, you feel like you're never going to win again. You win twice tonight. Now you just can't believe how long ago it seems. And you just want to drive for that next championship, that next opportunity to win a championship. And it's most, the most sought special. after championship trophy in sports. And you got your name on it twice, my friend. How amazing Ooh, is that? It's still numbing. I go, I said the first time I, I saw got chills it, it was just kind of, thinking about it. It was down, <laughs> it was down low. It was down low. And I was just looking at it, staring at it. Like how, how could that can't be it? Like it, that must've come in some, a bowl of cereal. Like, like yeah. And then they drop it off for you and you've got it and it's your day with it. And then it kind of sings in. And the second time, I think I'm, my name's beside Daryl Sutter in the third row. And I'm like, this is so surreal. So surreal. Yeah. Oh, gee, there's my, you saw it there, bud. Yeah, there they are. Well, you know, I was just going to ask you. There's the crew. The There's the crew. That is. That's the really, you know what? The angels. But anybody doesn't thing. know the angels. Mike the angels. The angels. I will tell you something about my angels is one thing. They know right now that daddy's not working and they've had some pretty hilarious things to say about it. And secondly, they also know that daddy only has two Stanley Cups. And being the women that they are, somebody says, if you try and pawn off the Calder Cup or the National Championship, we each get a Stanley Cup ring. And somebody right now is short, so... They, oh my god what a motivation i, I know they're I, I know they're supportive supportive yeah. of me, but the you fact got, that they're got three they're beautiful young ring. girls there oh, they are incredible three beautiful young girls it's awesome and you know what going back to that again this is an opportunity that look at you talked about it early on you got to spend with your with your daughters with your family again how's mom and dad how's the health i know my dad remembers your dad from from the old timers and said he was a hell of a player oh. so uh how well, you my dad was like he was like it's funny because Growing up, he said, he, I was just, a, he said he was one of the toughest guys he knew too. Oh, he's nasty. Football player, nasty. And it's funny because everybody, I clearly am a blend of my parents because growing up, everybody, you're just like your mom. There you go. You got the cheeks. Everybody loves you. You're always yeah. happy. And then when it came to hockey, it just became my dad. And it was the yeah. competitive side of it. And I think it was, again, after the first time, I had this thing in my head that it was like, you know, you're always winning. You're always succeeding. Life is easy. And then when I got fired and hit my first roadblock, it was like, okay, what's going on here? Like, and yeah. the, how am I going to respond to this? And then I think a lot of my dad kicked in that don't feel sorry for yourself, pick it up and get going. And I'll tell you, I mean, he's taking care of a family for a guy that was a phys ed teacher. I mean, he, he was, he would have played, he was drafted in the CFL, blew his knees out. I mean, he'd come back from Friday night hockey there with stitches and spirit, like, hey, I spirit our priest or say, you know, our spirit, our priest at such Friday night hockey or father love pissed me off. So I chopped him. It's a different, different oh, day no. at the time. Well, it is, but it's like, but it's, it's yeah. so funny. But I mean, he, the competitiveness that he brought. And I also know that when he, when he says stuff now that annoy me, um, it's just because he cares so much and I have to filter it out because when he calls and says, well, you know, what, have you heard anything? What's your next stop? It's like, yeah. I mean, I get angry because I'm like, dad, I'll tell you when I've got something, but it's right. because how much they love me. And I'm so fortunate yeah. to have them both of my, I think about the guys, our friends, like, you know, know. you look at what, you know, I don't even want it, but if you look at Rob Poza, I mean, this yeah. guy's one of my best yeah. friends in the world. And this guy's one of the, I see what him and that beautiful young daughter of his, and I just brings That's tears true. to my eyes and think he doesn't have, you know, you know, how big Sam and his mom were in his life. He's, he's, yeah he's he's raising this beautiful angel of his own without his parents and it's just and to me an amazing job and he's doing an amazing job so to amazing. me i just look now to think how much enjoy every second of it because yeah, it's just i'm so blessed i'm truly yeah. truly blessed and that's what's been fun about it i mean i can go back now and look like my mom was truly devastated because she became a part of the like every one of the players on the kings knew her right yeah. and I, I tell the story like our, our the stanley cup's been at her house uh, the second year, my wife's pendant, seeing as I didn't have a wife, <laughs> which I'm surprised she still didn't been, want. She didn't want. Been, the, been there, Mike. Been there. Didn't want, I'm surprised she didn't want half the pendant, but I decided <laughs> that my mom, my mom was going to get my Stanley Cup pendant, and she wears it everywhere. And it's yeah. like it's still. But so she lives her life through that whole predicament. Yeah. Uh, and when it finally, the, when it happened she was devastated. Like she was yeah. devastated. Like she literally went down to the wall and I've told the story and she took Rob Blake's Jersey off the wall. Like, and she says, I can't have that guy's Jersey on the wall. 
And that's not, that's family. That's not, that's my mom. That's my mom. And it's not, and I had to say, like, I've told her, cause I mean, I I've got sure. so much respect for Rob Blake. I don't like the decision he made, but yep. it's just, that's a parent being a parent. And that's the way my parents are. And I look back and see, I still picture them on the float with the Stanley cup and what better on the ice with me with the Stanley cup. And I, I mean, if my sister had been there, it would have been that much better. If the angels yeah. were there, yeah. that was just not feasible at the time, but to have your mom and dad on the ice with you, the Stanley cups pretty much, it doesn't get any awesome. better than that. So it's pretty cool. Great, great, great memories that you built there, Mike. And, and uh, it, you know, um, I'm going to ask you one last question here because we're closing in and I know you got a, you got a hard stop here. Um, and I asked this of everybody at the end of, uh, at the end of my, my interview, if your life was a billboard, man, on the road of life, what would it say? You know what? And I thought about this because I mean, you've mentioned this to me before. And I think there'd be somewhere between anything is achievable and, uh, I mean, unfinished business. Uh, the next cup's the best. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Just keep, I mean, fight on. You could be, it just never, never, ever give up. Never have somebody tell you. It'd be a long fucking billboard, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Because I was going to say, I got to live with 15 English. words, 12 to 15 words. You're gonna make, it's like a tweet. We're it's buying a, tweet. a bunch of them here. So it's a tweet. <laughs> no, it's, it. it's, but it's true. It's like one of my biggest flaws. And I don't look at it as a flaw is I, somebody told me after the fact, like I never thought that I would end up making the money I made in the national hockey league. Right. And that's not being braggadocious. It's just, it's, I shook my head. I always say I'd stay in hockey as long as I, um, as long as I was making more than I was teaching, then all of a sudden I was like, holy Christ. Like I remember my dad come walked by and he goes, well, that's a pretty good teacher. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. dad, I don't talk about it, but it was good. But I, I always laugh because my Stanley cup party, I kept thinking the first one, you got it. This is never going to happen again. You know, watch what you spend. And then I thought about, I mean, and I clearly don't make like these players that's this and I don't want to talk like I'm yeah, making yeah, that, yeah. but more than I ever thought I'd make. So my second sure. Stanley cup party, I, th I said mentally, this is what I want to do for my friends and my family, but be smart with the money on it. And that went, <laughs> like, that went I remember getting like, I was got to celebrate, on, enjoy on, that on, moment. Yeah, yeah, Anji Kopitar was sitting and he was having a discussion and we're at lunch and he makes, I think 11 million a year or something. Right. And he's talking about, you know, I, my God, he goes, God, I spent to my, I spent like five, six grand on my day. And I'm like, five, six grand. <laughs> You make 11 million. I spent, I spent $25,000 by like six of the six in the evening. <laughs> and I couldn't, and I, didn't think, I, said, I said, was I supposed to, I said, was I supposed to say that out loud? Like, I just didn't care. I had a private bus for my friends. I had limousines. I, I Quinn Moyer took it to, uh, to Donnie O'Neill's gravesite. I had it like it was going up in a helicopter. It was everywhere. I had Wendell Clark let me say at his bar. So and nobody was paying for everything. And then I saw the bill come in. And I'm like, whoa, did oh. that Stanley Cup bonus ever go out the window in a hurry? <laughs> but it was, I couldn't, I wouldn't change a thing about it. Yeah. That's how much Absolutely. fun it was. And uh, again, you. it's sure everybody says your, your wedding's supposed to be the biggest party you have in your life. Well, I can guarantee you, <laughs> guarantee you the way that one turned out. Stanley this, Cup number two. These two parties, both these parties. Well, the other one is a gift that keeps on giving because I have to, yeah. <laughs> I'm still paying yeah. for the first party, but the, oh, the Stanley God. Cup ones are just like, it's just incredible. It's just to yeah. be able to share those. With and I look at the pictures every time again, you feel down, I see the pictures and like Hunter, my oldest said the other day, she goes, daddy, can you send me more of those pictures? Cause I know what happened, but I've got to do a presentation. And she didn't even remember that she took both my Stanley cup rings um, to show and tell and pass them around show and tell. And I was literally like, I had my eyes on these kids because you know there's I don't care you know there's one little kid there's one there's 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 a market there's a Mark Etche in every kindergarten class and I remember God bless Etch but I remember this kid picking them up and he's staring at me and he goes what if I throw these and smash them on the ground and keep all the diamonds and I'm like have you ever heard of Ed Lubachek? Because he's yeah, going to come knocking on your door. Oh, man, I laugh and you're like, you're, 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 first of all, son, you're going to go right to the principal's office. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so, it was just amazing. And, so, and when Hunter saw these, when she saw these, uh, the rings, it just reminded her of everything. So it was pretty cool stuff. That's amazing, Mike. Um, listen, 
I, I hey, know can I ask you a question, Robbie? What's yes, yours? absolutely. What's your, bill, what's your billboard? My billboard. Oh, you turn it around on me. Mine is going to be, mine would be, God, you know, I haven't even thought about it myself. Um, my, my billboard would be, if you get knocked down, get back up again. Okay. I love it. See, I first, because I love the question. I think it's an amazing question because it amazing. Some stuff you can just go into a story, but that really makes you think. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it could, and, and not in a bad way, like, oh man, I got to come up with something floral. It's like, no. really, what matters the most? Like, I mean, my first meal, I was saying it has to be something about my daughters, but no, because I want, it's, it's something that when they, I want my daughters, when I'm gone and I'm off the road, I want yeah. them to be able to look at that billboard and, and follow the same path. Yeah. So great yeah, question no buddy. i appreciate you asking me that because you know what I, I i haven't really thought about it myself usually i'm the one asking that question but i think that's what it would be in my life you know i've been knocked down a number of times i keep getting back up and i tell people you're gonna have to put me in a box it's the only way i'll tell you i saw you the other day and i mean it'd be a big box <laughs> <laughs> holy smokes you take you guys i said posey said i remember posey i said uh yeah it's robbie and he's got beautiful girlfriend or fiance on the plane he's in yeah. great shape he's uh he's doing like he's clearly so into his uh, at the time i think you were on one of your fasts or your yeah. you know certain how much calories you seven, could intake that and 75 stuff. hard program oh yeah and i'm sitting next to you like i'm trying to like <laughs> you can get me a chardonnay get me a chardonnay but don't let them see because i really need a drink <laughs> <laughs> listen buddy so i'm never gonna not stop wanting to have a drink and we're gonna have to sit down and do this in yeah, person and have a beer no, and catch up no, uh this was amazing today mike i would love to be able to have you on again i think oh. we could fucking chat for hours on different absolutely stories. my friend and well, anytime, uh, you're, really anytime, you're, you give me anytime, time anytime you're talking to friends that are true genuine people it makes your day a better day so i appreciate it bud listen i wish you all the best in your your future endeavors God bless the angels and your parents and you, and you know, just, just have faith, man. Things are going to work out for you. You're a good human being. You just keep that, uh, keep that smile and those chubby cheeks going there, buddy. And uh, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be celebrating Stanley cup number three. I appreciate it. Good Thanks Robbie. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thanks Mike. Hey guys, how awesome was that? Mike is an amazing guest and a great storyteller. Uh, loved hearing about his journey. Um, and, um, you know, how about that? Anything is achievable. That could be one of the better, uh, one of the better uh, billboards that we've gotten so far and certainly is applicable to Mike and his life. I wish him all the best in his future pursuits. God bless those angels and his parents. Um, hey guys, give it a like, a share, leave a comment. Let us know how you feel. It's the only way that my podcast is going to be able to grow. Let's share it with an audience that might get something out of it. And I'm going to promise to keep bringing you guests like Mike. Thanks and have a great day. Enjoy your Monday.